If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. We have to maybe relearn to give credit where credit is due. I think that's falling away from the industry, and I'd love to get it back. Who invented meandering? And now, um, recently, who invented pebble work? I'd love to give them credit. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today's guest is Sue Hines of Kismet Quilting. I'm your host, Susan Smith, and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. And if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing utensil with needle and thread attached at high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events that I host on my YouTube channel, also called Stitched by Susan. They're on the first and third Friday of every month, and they are usually one project from start to finish in real time, and they're streamed live, so they're interactive, meaning you can ask questions and get answers about a project while I'm working on it. So I invite you to join me there again the first and third Friday of every month. The quilting community, as I'm sure you already know, is so diverse, so colorful, and supportive. So I invite you to listen in as we meet a new quilter each week and hear their stories. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to pins and needles, with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. In the last podcast episode, I talked about experimenting with straight line quilting and how beautiful and complementary that can be to so many quilts. But when you do a lot of parallel straight lines in a quilt, What happens is they act a little bit like the ribbing on the cuff of your sweater. It wants to pull up a little bit. So when you're applying binding to a quilt that has parallel straight line quilting, you need to take that into account. And on whatever side of the binding is going perpendicular to those lines, you need to put some tension on the binding and pull it a little tighter. Your quilt is going to become a little shorter in most cases assuming that your lines are running from side to side, but it's important that your binding does not have extra, that you don't stretch the quilt out at all as you're applying it, or you will end up with a very wavy edge. So that's how to avoid those waves. Put tension on that binding as you're applying it. You know I love my coffee. In fact, I've got a fresh pot brewing right now. 
If you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan. There for the price of one delicious coffee, you are able to make a one-time contribution or sign up for a monthly one if you so desire. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Sue Hines is a gem of a teacher, but what she teaches is also very remarkable. She creates freehand quilting designs and tools to make incredible precision both doable and enjoyable. I know I'll ask her more about those as we visit, so get ready. Lots of stories coming your way. Welcome, Sue, into my studio. I am so happy to get to visit with you today. I am glad to be here. This I'm so looking forward to this. Sue Hines and I first met... Oh, some years back, I attended one of your classes, Sue, at a, I think it was a quilt show in New Hampshire, and then I became the VP of my local machine quilting guild, and you came in as a teacher, and I got to be the gopher. So that's, we spent a whole weekend, you know, running back and forth to Walmart and supply places and staples (laughs) and things like that together. So that's how we got to know each other a little bit, and I have the highest respect for you as a quilter and as a teacher, so I'm honored that you took the time to be here today. Thank you. And when I see my designs come out of your needle, OMG. You got I, I love your work. I love your work so much, Sue. And it just it um we'll talk about this as we go through the podcast today, ways that we can kind of share each other's work and and talk about also honoring people's original designs and keeping that original to them. And in fact, we might as well dive right in there because this is something you and I have chewed over a few times before. Yes, it is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. That uh, we have to maybe relearn to give credit where credit is due. I think that's falling away from the industry, from the world, actually. And I'd love to get it back. Yeah. The golden rule and everything. Yes. And we're kind of going beyond, like we see commonly people posting on social media and and tagging um, people whose fabric they're using or whose uh, pattern they're using. But you're kind of thinking beyond that. You're thinking, for example, where you and I first talked about this, was talking about various free motion quilting motifs that someone originally sort of dreamed up, that it was kind of their original work. And now they're so widespread and so commonly used, nobody even knows anymore who where they originated. And it's really great to Educate yourself about that and give that extra level of credit. Very well said. Yes. I'd love to know who invented meandering and now um, recently who invented pebble work. I'd love to give them credit. But again, that's been lost in the minutia of time and uh, reposting. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and so it is difficult. But it's just a really good thing for each of us to strive for is to really give that credit. So so as you and I go with our, maybe collaboration is is too far of a word, but I have all your books, of course, and I use your design so much. The books are dog I know you do, and cases. you do it beautifully. And you, by the way, are one of the leaders in the industry, I think, that does post. When, when you do a posting on Facebook, I see 
that you you um, indicate what fabric you used, what pattern you used, and and thank you. You even give um, the free motion designers also credit for whatever designs you're using. So yeah. thank you. You're, you're setting the example that I love to see more and more of. Good. I do try and do that. And and I do find that I have to limit myself a little because right now, for example, reels, little short video clips are all the rage. But I want to be very careful that I'm not giving too much instruction, right? And taking away from crafters like you, whose bread and butter is the teaching of those things. And so that's, that's important to me too, to respect um, the, the originator of these designs. So, okay. We've, we've, done a good job on that one. Let's go back, Sue, to some stories that I've never heard. Like, how did you get into quilting? How did this become your life's passion? Ah, well, um, I only realized this when I did look back, um, uh, like many things in our lives. My mother was very near and dear to me, my best friend, actually, growing up. She was significantly older than me, 40 years my senior, my dad 50 years my senior when I was born. So um, that was unusual for the time. Um, But she was a gifted garment maker. And I being tall with long arms and, you know, lanky, uh, she did pretty much all of my clothing while I grew up, all through high school um, and it just looked awful to me. It's like all these pieces, you got them spread everywhere and how do you know it's gonna fit after you're all done? It. I had no inkling, no desire, no nothing um, to want to garment sew and she did it all. And so all I have to do is say, hey ma, and, and it would be got, done. So, it, and then she passed away suddenly And quilting um, was introduced to me by an acquaintance, not really a a friend, but she was gonna take a quilting class and invited me to come. And I said, well, gosh, flat. I can do flat. (laughs) It doesn't have armholes or zippers, so sure, why not? And now we know how difficult it is sometimes to get it flat. But anyway, um, I went to that class and uh, all of a sudden the whole room erupts with people ripping their fabric. Now you know what we're doing. We're straightening the grain. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what a salvage was. I didn't know nothing. And so it's like, well, everybody's ripping. Okay. And so, of course, I ripped cross grain. And the teacher comes up, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm ripping fabric. So um, I was the class, you know, special person <laughs> for the rest of the class. My friend wound up dropping out because it was too difficult. And um, I'm competitive. So I said, she's not getting me. And I stayed. And that was the only class I have taken, but she taught me everything I'd need to know to launch uh, because everything was done by hand and she was very persnickety and we did a sampler. So the sampler included curves and points and 
everything that you needed to do. So God bless that cranky <laughs> instructor um, <laughs> for teaching me. And then I think it, it was just to be close to my mother again, handling fabric mm-hmm. made me close to my mom. So I think that's how it all started. And I got hooked just from that class. And, and then I can hear my mother's voice saying, now, now rip that out, straighten that out. <laughs> um, and now I think if she knew what the heck I was doing, she'd be rolling over in, a ground, in, the, in the grave, just laughing and saying, you, <laughs> you. But That's funny. I also think that that experience gives me, I'm so in touch with any student that walks in that doesn't know what a salvage is, that doesn't know what, you know, they, they love quilting from a distance, but don't know how to start. Oh, <laughs> I'm right there with them. That, that can be tricky as a teacher, and I'm learning that too. I'm now teaching, you know, free motion quilting on the long arm. But to make assumptions that somebody knows all these things that are so very familiar to us, right, terms like like bias or like straight of grain or, you know, just to name a few, half square triangle. But there right. are so many who don't know that, and we don't want to, we don't want to rush over these entry-level steps. Even those who have quilted for a long time sometimes have not met some of these terms and techniques. So it's really, it's really valuable, as you say, to kind of put yourself in their shoes and to remember when they were unfamiliar to you too. Right. And even to learn things from your students sometimes. <laughs> Actually, I got a, a, a question the other day via email after one of my lectures, and I was lecturing on one of my favorite subjects, Elmer's Whitewashable School, G-L-U-E, because it's not a G-L-U-E. And did you know that that's the four-letter word? So I don't like to use that. True. Yeah, we shouldn't on a podcast. She she was asking, what is starch? Good question. Young young woman. And that just blew me away. It's like, wow, I, I didn't realize. But then the more I thought about it, we rarely use starch on our on our garments anymore because they're, you know, wrinkle free or something or, you know, exactly. Um, And here was a legitimate question. What is starch? And actually when I go into target to buy starch and I ask a target employee, you know, where, where's your starch? I'm not seeing it. They look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll look it up. So how's it spelled? S T, you know, so (laughs) we're, we're learning. I'm learning to relearn what I know and to slow down a little bit and not have any assumptions about anything when I'm teaching. Right. And of course it's balanced when you're teaching with trying to be efficient with time, right? If Mm -hmm. you know, nine tenths of your class do know. So, so that's always a thing. Um, When, when did you become a teacher? Did that start with your quilt making or was that more when you got into machine quilting that you picked up a love of teaching? Cause you love that one too. Don't tell me you don't. I absolutely thrive on teaching. Um, It shows through. Your classes are my favorite ever. (laughs) Well, okay, true confessions here, right? This is the tell-all. Okay. (laughs) Um, I have a second education, secondary education degree. 
from college. So I have the education background that college gave me, which is, you know, lacking sorely. Um, but I worked in a quilt shop for 10 years and I really wanted to teach. I was not given the opportunity to teach for 10 years. And then when I finally um, was given the opportunity, my classes were full, everything's grand. Um, and I had an issue with my arms, um, tennis elbow bad, so I, I couldn't cut fabric anymore, but I still wanted to teach and they actually fired me. Um, so <laughs> because you couldn't cut fabric. Uh, yeah, they wanted me cutting fabric and, and now again, a hindsight, uh, which I should be great at being a Heinz, uh, as always 2020. And, um, now I realize that perhaps I was a threat. I, mm. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, uh, so I was let go at the same time fortuitously in my life. Um, I had bought a long arm um, not too long before I was let go from, from the shop. And I met this wonderful, beautiful human being named Jamie Wallen. And the story is, and this is all true, I didn't know who he was because I worked at the quilt shop. So I, I worked hard and then I came home, made samples for the shop, repeat, you know, so my world was very limited to just my small area I live in and the quilt world, what little I knew of it. I didn't know about big shows. I didn't, I was very isolated. But I went to a local uh, show, Minnesota Quilters, and I kind of kicked the tires on all the models of long arms. And Jamie was in the booth and, you know, he's got the baseball hat on and the, the comfortable clothes. And I thought he was Joe Mechanic sitting there. And, and um, he wound up being the guy that came to my home to set up my machine. And at the time, he would spend a day and a half sleeping at your home while he set up and instructed you on the long arm. And so during that day and a half, um, I kept on trying to teach him, <laughs> um, how to quilt because poor man, I mean, he's out there working with people and he was doing feathers up one side and then back down the other. Prior to that, the only education I got in free motion quilting, this is the other hero in my life. Um, was I devoured, I didn't just listen to, I devoured Sharon Chamber tutorials that are still up on the website and are up on YouTube and they are wonderful, just absolutely wonderful. And because I studied them, I was like her little parrot. No, you don't do that, you do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie, poor soul, uh, he suffered through a day and a half of my trying to help him, quote unquote. And finally, he said, um, you know, uh, I'm going to stay an extra day. Do you have a whiteboard? Yeah. You have an easel? Yeah. Da, 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 da. I'm staying the extra day. Uh, okay. And he started to draw. And all of a sudden, he became a different person. This 
where Sharon's work was black or white, my way or the highway, here's how you do it. Um, I saw all sorts of beautiful shades of gray and I wanted it. I was hungry for it. Mm -hmm. And that generous soul uh, spent three quarters of a day teaching me every design that he taught at the time. And I kept on saying, you got more, you got to have more, you got more. <laughs> and he kept on saying, you know, well, uh, you've gone through four of my classes, five of my classes, six of my classes. And then I said, oh, do you teach? And he, well, yeah. Oh, well, where do you teach? Oh, let's see, Houston, Paducah. And I just went, oh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably been laughing in his sleeve the whole time. Oh, gosh. So I was such a newbie, such a nerd, such way out of my zone and didn't even know. And he was so kind. And uh, he did come to my quilt shop one of the nights that he was in my home because it's like, well, what else do we do at night? Let's uh, want to go shopping for fabric. I don't know. Um, and just picking up on the vibe of the place, he said, Sue, you need to leave. And I went, what? I got kids in college. I can't, I can't leave, you know. Um, and he convinced me, you got to get out of this place. You got to get on the road. And of course, then I was let go. And his, his voice, I mean, I didn't talk to him or hear him or see him for a year thereafter. But um, that voice was saying, you got to leave, you got to get out of here. And so within three months, I can't believe this, I had my first book um, really published, ready to go. And um, I contacted Sharon and I asked her if I could um, have some of her products to sell. And I asked Jamie the same thing. So between my one book and their two product lines, I got out there and started to teach. So that's, that's the start. And I really owe it all to that wonderful guy who came to my home and put up with a lot of stuff <laughs> um, for a year, a day and a half. And now um, he has been my constant mentor for 14, 15 years now. Lovely. What a great story. How, like, how has this changed your life? Do you ever think back as, as I do sometimes, because quilting was a surprising pivot for me too. Machine quilting was never on my horizon. I was never, I want to grow up to be that person. And I was not at all in the quilting uh, mainstream either until 10 were, years were or so ago. Were you a piecer prior? Were you? Yes. So I learned, so you know, at my mother's knee, so to speak. So she never in her life used a rotary cutter. She's not living anymore. Right. But, so it was very traditional, you know, draw out each piece. Um, we did machine piece them and then we hand quilted. So I did that till well into my adult life. Um, with her as your guide. With, with her as my guide, at least. I mean, she passed away when I was in my mid-20s. But um, So, yes, but just that, the thought of that pivot and thinking back, you know, if this pivotal point hadn't happened, because for me it was right. a friend too, like where would I be? What a difference has this made in my life? Is, is that enormous to you? Like does your life look totally different than you thought it, it might have? It is stunning what a 
even a more acute angle than 90 degrees. Really? Uh, it's definitely a 180 for me. Um, I always thought that I'm just this little person, you know, this little speck of sand in the big wide ocean. And, um, and here again, there's one, one or two things that uh, Mr. Wallen said to me on that fateful visit um, just before he left. I mean, the car engine was literally going and he came in and he gave me the compliment of my life, which I won't repeat, but it was huge. And then he said, I'll tell Sharon, you said hi. <laughs> and then he just races to his car and boogies, boogies out of the driveway. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, Sharon Chamber is going to hear about me. <laughs> uh, just, it's just little bitty things. And then of course I, I meet Sharon uh, not too long after that. I tell her the story and um, ask for her permission to be able to share my love of her technique. And that is using, using Elmer. Right. Which I'll be happy to talk about later in the podcast. Well, I'm just, I'm looking here at my notes. There are so many places we could go soon. We might have to make like an annual event out of this because there's so many things we could talk about. Um, we had talked before we came on air, actually. We were talking about your studio. You have a, an enormous space and kind of broken up into working areas. And you have a movable design wall. And I thought yes. some of our listeners would be fascinated by that and perhaps want to go out and make one for themselves. So can you tell it, us a little bit of a description of, of what that what the materials are and how you yes. made that? Yes, and actually this, this idea is not mine. Um, so I'll give credit where credit is due. This came from a student of mine. Karen Carter, and she lives out in Washington State. Um, and she was describing her design wall. And um, at the time, my space was so small. Um, but we've since moved. And uh, so I thought of this and I just went, I got it, got it, got it, got to have one. And um, so here it is. It is made out of foam insulation board that you can get at any big box store. They come in four by eight sheets. I recommend this for any design wall, movable or not. This is the best darn mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and it's lightweight. If you need it bigger, you can cool melt glue it together. You can even cut it and hinge it in the back with duct tape. Yes, and then it fan one. folds and it's can be put away. So amazing stuff. It's the stuff that is solid. If it, if you can see little plastic bubbles, right. don't buy that. It'll so not, not styrofoam sheets, but actual foam insulation sheets. Foam insulation mm -hmm. board, inch and a half, inch and three quarters. The length of the pins that you use plus more. So your pins aren't hitting the wall. Right. So it's that stuff. And I just went to Joanne's with my 40% off coupon and got some uh, very cheap fleece, white, and pin it to the board all the way around. What makes my wall unique and this idea of Karen's amazing is I used the same hinges that you make barn door, um, um, you know, 
barn door hinges that are popular now for interior doors. Mm-hmm. Use those same hinges, but instead of going along the parallel to the wall, you would rotate the hinges, put them in the ceiling so that they're perpendicular to the wall. Okay. This, uh, my board, my wall, uh, that is the foam wall, uh, is free hanging from these hinges. So my carpenter made a um, plywood backer for it, and then it is edged in plywood uh, with, with um, holes cut in it, or I could stick um, corsage pins through the holes, and that mounts my wall. My wall is 13 feet wide by nine feet high. Beautiful. One piece. Beautiful. And behind it is all, this is the reason why you'd want this in your home, is all of my stash is behind this wall. So the wall moves out four feet. I can get in there. Um, and I have three lights in the ceiling, three spotlights. When the wall is open, it illuminates all my fabric. When the wall is closed or abutting to my my shelving, the lights uh, light the front of my wall. So it's very efficient and easy. And wow, it, it makes that area do double duty beautifully. So even if you your room is a old bedroom, you still have a closet where all your stuff is stored, mm-hmm. redo the door by putting your design wall over the front of that door. And all you need is three feet of space available in front of that area so you can open and close the door. Mm-hmm. And it it's wonderful. Genius. Very genius. It is. Thank you, Karen Carter. I'll have to get started on that. <laughs> okay. I do want to talk a little bit about the Elmer's brand sticky stuff because it does so many things. I know we won't it be does. able to even make a dent in them today, but what are one or two of your favorite uses for it? Anytime two pieces of fabric come together, I have Elmer between them. That's, That's how often I use Elmer. So instead uh, of instead of pinning, for example, when you're matching points, say on a seam, is that an Elmer solution? Is an epic fail. Um, and if <laughs> you speak to a majority of quilters, you know, do you pin, 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 or just you know through your sewing machine? Most people will say I don't pin. Um, and there's a reason for that, and that is because things shift and distort anyway. So why spend all that time pinning? If you put Elmer in there, and I'm only talking about one brand and one product within that brand. So I say Elmer comes from a big family of redheads and he's the odd duck. There's always one odd duck in a family. He's the one because um, he's not actually a GLUE. He is a thick starch, actually FDA food grade starch because we can give it to toddlers and leave the room and if they eat it they're not going to get sick uh that's because it's not a uh, not a glue and these are the really important qualities and why you can use it without fear on all of your fine fabrics exactly exactly and and um 
And Sharon Chamber years ago prognosticated that over time, um, fusibles will harden, blacken, degrade your fabric. She also, and at the time, that's all I was using as fusibles. Uh, in the 70s, 80s, 85, 87, I mean, fusibles were huge. And that's how anybody did applique. Um, she also prognosticated that um, some shows would not be allowing fused quilts to compete. And I'm starting to see that now, too. So again, she's brilliant. I didn't know that. Um, but what, what Elmer does beautifully, and again, it's just this one product, the school product. Variety. And mm -hmm. only Washable. white because it comes in pink and blue and sparkles. We don't want any of that in our quilts because it contains dyes. People ask me about the clear, and all I say is I've been using Elmer for about 15 years. Sharon, I think eight or nine years prior to me, uh, we haven't tested the clear, so I can't say, but we know that that white stuff is tried and true. You, you can leave it in your fabrics ad nauseum, and it's not going to degrade your fabric one single bit, or if you prefer, you can wash it, and it all comes out with one wash. Um, I, I even jokingly say you can lick it, and it comes out. So it's, um, it's wonderful, but it takes away all bias stretch. It makes all your points perfect. Let's just say this. It's paradise for quilters for one reason. What you see before you sew is exactly what you have after you sew. What other product can you say does that? So true. I want to come out and hang in your studio one day just, just to see all the Please. ways you put it to use. Please. Oh gosh, that that would be my studio now is designed from uh, many years of frustration, and now I've got the room, and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> How nice! I'm so yeah. glad for you. Well, I think we are going to have to come back to this because we've gone fairly long already, and I desperately wanted to pick your brain about some of your design processes for your quilting. So Please I'm just do. I'm just going to highlight them a little bit, and seriously, we'll have to get back together because I know there's tons and tons we could say about your tools and your designs. I'd love that. The reason that I love them so much is there's you put so much thought into them, and so there's precision and there's um, logic. I know that sounds Thank funny you. when you talk about quilting, but that's what makes them so easy for quilters to use. So both your tools and your designs, like they're step-by-step step and it always works. Like, is that just your personality that you brought to bear? Or was that just developed over your sort of problem solving with quilting designs that maybe weren't so intuitive? Both. Um, I am very anal retentive uh, by nature and pretty persnickety. Um, so there's that. But also when I'm designing, I, I break it down and say, how am I gonna teach this? Can I describe each step? And if I can't, if it's really too involved, where only I know what to do, then that design gets knocked out. Got it. And that makes sense. And that shows so clearly. Some of your marking tools are my 
absolute favorites. I don't have that many marketing tools. I'm not the person to buy the latest gadget, but I see the scope of what your tools can do and they're incredibly valuable. So thank you. Well, those those were born out of frustration that uh, I couldn't find anything else on the market to do, do the, um, to fit the direction my designing was going. I was getting heavily into circles because, you know, circles are so hard to do. No, they're not. Um, and when I started to see them as just an extension of grid work, then I just needed tools to give me that grid. I'm also kind of math phobic and my husband is not, God bless him. So between the two of us, we have a no math, but plenty of built-in math mm-hmm. tool system that we think really works and works well. Yeah, you've done the legwork. And you mentioned circles. I think that your circle liner was probably the first marking device that yes. I purchased. And you, I'm sure, know right off the top of your head, how many different sizes of circles can I make from that one tool? 90. There you go, in listeners. inch increments. Right. So you want a circle that's five and, you know, seven, eight inches around. Five and three eighths, we've got it. Five and seven eighths, we've got it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, every other tool on the market, we're either half or quarter inch. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, well, what happens if you need something in between? You know, so we got it done eighths. Yep. It's so lovely. So lovely. Okay. And it also works on both the long arm. So you can design on the fly right, or uh, on a tabletop. Right. So I have not used it, obviously, on the tabletop. But, I mean, that is absolutely ingenious on the long arm, listeners. Sue's got this nifty technique. You kind of push a tack in from the top and put a little rubberized backing on it under the quilt. And you can literally spin it around on your quilt right. surface. It is the as easiest thing on the planet. By about three clicks. And then make sure you back off on that when you sew the three clicks again so you're, you've um, not overstretched your fabric. Right. Good point, actually, Sue. I didn't know that, that you needed to have it tighter to draw. And I've had decent results without even oh, doing well, there that. You go. So there's my tip for today. <laughs> okay. Sue, do you have any new books or tools on the market or coming soon that we ought to be watching for? I do. Thanks for asking. Um, during the last little bit of COVID... Um, I put out my fifth book. It's called Caffeinated Quilting. And the reason why I called it Caffeinated is, uh, again, I'm just putzing around uh, doodling. And I came up with a leaf and I thought, you know, everybody loves leaf patterns. And so more leaf patterns, more leaf patterns. And I started thinking, oh, tea leaves. And then um, I started doing some different variations of pebble work. And I thought, oh, one looked like coffee beans. So it's the book has 65 designs in it, all based on three shapes, a coffee bean, so a pebble shape, a tea leaf, leaf shape, and a coil, uh, which is like that steam coming off your favorite mm-hmm. mug. So 65 designs, boom. Each one so with more. So that's why it's called caffeinated quilting. Each one with a more punny name than the one before, seriously. <laughs> My committee, which is my immediate family, comes up with the names and we get pretty silly. They're pretty great. Give them my compliments. I I mean, seriously, I would read the book just for the names. It's so great. (laughs) Thank you. Blondes do have more fun. 
Before we go, I do want to ask you if you've got a little nugget of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners. It can have to do with your quilting journey and creative side or just with life in general, something you'd like to leave us with. Well, it's it's quilting related. Drawing. If you want to learn pre-motion quilting, and Susan, you're shaking your head, I would heartily recommend drawing. This is not fine art. It is just doodling. Just doodle. And that's what you're doing with your with your needle and thread. And if you know where you're going to go because you've worked it out on paper, then translating that design into thread is a breeze. Because then all you have to worry about when you're sewing is speed and control, but you don't have that third element, which is where in the heck am I going? Exactly. I'll take it from a lady who knows. Sue, you have such great designs. You have been so um, influential in the quilting world. You are a gem. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a ton for joining me today. And I'll get in touch and we'll plan to do this again in the not too distant future. I'd love it. Thank you, Susan, for all that you do for us as well. Well, friends, I hope you really enjoyed my visit with Sue Hines. I know I did. I mentioned earlier that I first met Sue attending one of her classes and she was teaching some quilting designs and at one point she gave us a tip and it was so good we're all sitting there kind of with blank looks on our faces I imagine thinking over all the ways this is going to change our lives and Sue deadpan says if you're excited about that notify your face so of course we all burst out laughing. But, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, consider notifying whatever platform that you listen to your podcasts on. I would really appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. Also, I'd love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter that has stories to tell. If you know such a person or are one, email me at info at stitchedbysusan.com and I'll get in touch. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted. <laughs>